This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, Michigan State went west, hoping to end the program's struggles west of the Rocky Mountains. But it was not meant to be for Mel Tucker and co, as the Spartans were thoroughly beaten by Washington from start to finish last Saturday night. It was a mostly disappointing effort for the Spartans, a loss that dropped them from number 11 to unranked. What went wrong, and will they be able to pick up the pieces as Big Ten play gets underway at Spartan Stadium this weekend? We will discuss that and more on episode 85 of Live Spartan Confidential Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined as always by Michigan State beat reporters Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel. It is Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Thank you so much for listening here today, Spartan Nation. Uh, Matt, how was the trip out west? Uh, brief. Uh, I saw the airport, the hotel, and the stadium. Um, but uh, the the stadium, I thought it was the most unique environment I've ever been to for a college football game. I thought it was awesome, you know, being on the Union Bay, Lake Washington's Union Bay, whatever it was. Um, the stadium was really cool. I just, I thought the place was was great. You got a good view of the water from the press box there? Yeah, yeah, to the right. Um, yeah, it was uh, open-air press box, so it was a little, little chilly up there. Um, a certain member of the beat did not prepare accordingly and was wearing a, a polo shirt, and he, and he had to go uh, buy a sweatshirt, obviously. Uh, it, it was it was cold. Not complaining, but, uh, you know, the window's open, uh, you know, the breeze coming in. Um, and I'm not sure how much that played a factor, but – because you, know, you, you know we're usually behind glass but that was the loudest game I remember being a part of covering and you know there was only what 65,000 people was the announced attendance whatever it was but the way it's seating is configured and the, the overhangs over the sides really helped to trap in the noise and I thought it was just really damn loud I couldn't I couldn't hear the people sitting next to me and we were jammed in there pretty tight so uh yeah great place uh, uh if, you know Washington gets rolling again I mean <laughs> that yeah, tough place to win yeah and that's something we talked about last pod, that that stadium is known for being uh, one of the loudest in the country. I think it is part in part because of how it's built. But I mean, as you saw firsthand, Washington fans, I mean, they, they can be a passionate group, particularly when the team is doing well. They've had a few down years. And I know a lot of Spartans made the trip out there, but uh, you could definitely hear the noise and how it was affecting Michigan State. Kyle, you did not make the trip. Did you, uh, were you locked in on that Purdue Syracuse game at all? Uh, I was, yeah, I watched that. I can't remember the last time I watched a, uh, a Syracuse game that intensely, uh, poor Purdue screwing <laughs> up all their endings, but, uh, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Just a brutal, brutal, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty there. Mm-hmm. I thought that pass interference call was a little weak though. That, that's yeah, sort of yeah. I, I don't like to see that down the stretch, but, uh, Hey, Syracuse will take what we can get three and oh, baby. <laughs> are you riding that Dino Babers train the the, the most electric show on turf or whatever that ad was that he had <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know about that but uh, it, it'll tie us over to basketball season at least so 
Absolutely. Um, well, we appreciate everyone for watching or sorry, listening uh, to, this, to, this, to the Spartan Confidential podcast here. As I said, we're going to look back at the Washington game. Uh, we'll also look ahead to Michigan State's Big Ten Open against Minnesota. You guys sent in a couple questions, so we'll try and get to those. Uh, if you could please like, rate, and review the podcast, you can check out our, our work uh, at MLive.com slash Spartans. You guys know where to find us on Twitter if you want to hit us up. But most of all, we just appreciate you tuning in, subscribing. Tell your tell your friends about it if you if you enjoy the show. Um, but yeah, like I said, very much appreciate you guys listening. Uh, let's get to the game, Matt. I mean, obviously not the result Michigan State wanted. They fall 39-28 at Husky Stadium out there in the West. Um, really, the game was not that close. Washington jumped out to a huge lead. Michigan State giving up over 500 yards of total offense. Um, the faithful... A little shook after this one uh, on the old social media calling for Scotty Hazleton's job. A little aggressive, in my opinion, on that. But obviously, Matt, uh, pass defense was a was a topic last year, and it seems that it's going to continue to be a topic this year. Yeah, until they prove it's not a problem. Um, you know, I, no need to rehash everything from last year. I mean, anybody listening to this knows what that was. Um, but they expected to be better going into this year. You know, they had all their starters returning. You had more depth at corner. Um, and that was the first real test. And I don't know how they could have failed any more than they did. Um, Michael Penix did exactly what he wanted to do for the most part. Uh, you know, right off the bat, you know, drove him down for seven. Um, and they just, he picked on Chester Kimbrough early. That became, uh, I think that was clearly what Mel was talking about when he when he said matchup problem. Uh, he didn't say him by name, and, and we didn't see Kimbrough. He got pulled up after the uh, after halftime for Justin White, um, but he wasn't the only one. You know, Angelo Gross, um, your speed. You know, they <laughs> every, just about everybody got picked on. Um, and it was just a you know a failure in, in the pass game defense. Um, you know, they, they did okay against the run, but you know you. Michael Penix did what he wanted, you know, and they just could not get a stop. And, you know, it was same thing as last year, you know, third and long, get it, fourth and whatever, get it. And just they did not get the stops, uh, no interceptions again. Um, so they don't have one on the season. I think they're one of only like eight teams in the country without one. Uh, so, yeah, it just defensively not a good job at all other than, I mean, you point to the two goal line stands where those were great. And then, <laughs> and then it went sideways after both of them. You had the safety and then the interception. So uh, yeah, that, not a good trip at all for them. There were some positives. Uh, Peyton Thorne, I thought he played really well. Um, you know, we saw uh, Keon Coleman emerge with Jaden Readout and, and Daniel Barker um, had a pretty good game. So yeah, a couple positives, but overall, um, kind of a disastrous trip out there. Yeah. I mean, it, we knew, you know, I think a lot of people thought that, you know, with the changes that have been made in the secondary, the guys they brought in that another year in the system, that maybe things would be better. But I found Mel's comments about, you know, the fact that they identified that it was going to be a mismatch coming into the game and they knew it. And therefore they, you know, they really tried to sit back in coverage, didn't bring a lot of pressure you know, that was interesting. I mean, Washington has weapons. We might find out that this is a better team than we thought they were, but you know, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, uh, Roma Dunsey, Giles Jackson. I mean, they had like four legitimate weapons on the outside, but you know, if you're Michigan state, you knew that coming in and you don't, you don't, you try and scheme against it and it still doesn't work. So, I mean, Mel, I know hinted at changes in the secondary. Uh, do, do, do you read that as a, a scheme change or just like you, they're going to try some of these young guys out there? Uh, personnel. Uh, he, he didn't think there was anything schematically wrong with what they were doing. Um, you know, fans may disagree when they see the what coverage that Michigan State plays, but um, Mel was asked, you know, he, 
I've, I'm sure everybody heard the comments. You know, he got asked about how he takes the performance given he coaches cornerbacks. He said it takes it personally. He called himself a horseshit football coach. Um, so he's obviously taking the blame, um, admirable and all that. Um, but he got asked, uh, he, he said that they saw some of the similar problems uh, against Washington that they had last year and said there's going to be changes made. And he was asked, is that personnel? And he said, yeah. So I would expect what to see. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I, I mean, if he, if he gets asked, are there going to be personnel changes? And he says, yeah. I mean, that means different players out there. Um, so that, well, I mean, Ooh. we saw Justin White at, at nickel in the second half. I mean, are you going to replace one of your safeties? Like Kendall Brooks has played pretty well for the most part, um, getting pushed in there with, with Henderson out. And I think, you know, I mean, not, a, not to make an excuse, but, you know, they are shorthanded. You know, no Xavier Henderson is your most experienced defensive player. Um, who knows when he's going to be back with that right leg injury. Uh, obviously, Darius Snow's out for the year, and, and Jacob Slade was, wasn't, didn't make the trip uh, to Washington as well. Um, Marquis Lowry wasn't there, among other guys. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we got to be better. And the, the road ahead is obviously not easy. You know, Minnesota, well, I'm sure we'll talk about them a little later. They're not going to be the same challenge as Washington. They're more run-first team. But in case you haven't noticed, Maryland likes to throw the ball. And Ohio State, I think they've got a guy that can do that as well. So, uh, three big games ahead, and that's before you even get to Wisconsin and Michigan. So, um, yeah, they gotta, you got to fix some things pretty quickly or, or they could get out of hand. I was telling Matt uh, yesterday that Mel's whole Monday uh, press conference, which was seen about as an entertaining one, at least in season that he's ever had. Um, like that seems straight out of the time of your playbook to me. It's like your team's bad, has a bad game. They're pretty fragile. Put it all on the coaching staff, you know, make them make him the focus, not the players. Like that seemed to be um, the goal there. But like, I don't know. I, I have a hard time seeing this as, Uh, anything but an indictment on that because you have an obviously glaring need after last season which is your pass defense and and they talked about it and they made changes um but the first real game you play to have that happen um really show absolutely no signs of um of progress um and in the one area you really needed to improve upon um you know that's on coaches and um, maybe it'll help some switching up personnel but um, the fact that it didn't happen before that game, I have a hard time thinking that there's going to be some magic fix um, in switching in a guy or two. I understand they've had an injury or two, but I, I still think that um, that was pretty shocking to still see them that bad in that area, um, the first real game they played. And it doesn't, doesn't say much for, for how they address that, um, that situation over the offseason. Yeah, I mean, there were guys wide open at times, and it's, you know, and Mel, you know, I mentioned the schematic thing. Everybody's up and down was saying, well, you know, it was was alignment or leverage or, you know, this and that. It was mental errors. You know, Mel talked about rat trap where basically everybody knows what to do going into the game, and then it falls apart. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just (laughs) – it was not anything inspiring to say the least. Yeah, and everyone was worried about Michael Penix, you know, coming into the game, considering what he's done to Michigan State in the past. But he throws for 397 yards, four touchdowns. He's that's almost 10 yards of completion. Uh, I mean, like he only completed 24 passes. I mean, that's throwing for 400 yards and 24 passes. That's like that's just a knife through butter. And it started right away from the first uh, series of the game. Washington marches right down the field and. You know, Michigan State fans, I know they, they like, you know, and the program talks about keep chopping. But when you see a team 
that you were worried about stopping and they marched right down the field the first possession of the game. That was a bad omen for Michigan State. Give them credit for the way they battled back. They did not give up in this game. Um, but, you know, there wasn't a ton to be happy about in terms of the pass uh, defense. And like you mentioned, Matt, there's there's going to be teams coming up on their schedule that are going to present some issues there. Uh, there were a couple positives we'll get to in a second here, but also, you know, another concerning sign if you're Michigan State, the run game that had really been churning well uh in the first two games of the season against Matt competition Jalen Berger goes for just 13 for 27 it's 2.1 yards per carry Jerick Roussard just four carries for three yards Peyton Thorne goes 10 for 12 obviously some sacks worked in there Elijah Collins did score a late touchdown late and I know the coaching staff hinted at maybe getting him more run um but you know offensive line was a concern as well coming into the season Matt and they had performed I would say better than expected in the first two games, but their first shot at real competition here, the run game looks terrible, similarly to uh, how it did against Pittsburgh in the Peach Bowl. Um, you know, it, it's a concern if you're Michigan State because, you know, I heard Robert Griffin and and uh, um, I forget the other guy who was calling it, Mark Jones, were talking about maybe Michigan State needs to change their identity and spread it out and use these receivers more. But I don't think you can do that. We've seen in the past when Michigan State doesn't have the run game working, things go poorly, and this was a bad sign. Yeah, and, and you know, Peyton, to his credit, and he said, you know, the offensive line basically takes more shit than they, than they should. Um, he was saying, you know, there are times where a wide receiver didn't get in there and do their job blocking, or maybe the back cut the wrong way, or – you know, he, you know, he takes a sack, but he moved the wrong way in the pocket. But I don't think there was anything great you saw in the offensive line. I mean, that safety was a disaster. He had the right side of the line getting pushed back, and, and Broussard slips, gets his legs tangled up with Matt Carrick, and he goes down. And the first third and one of the game, you know, Peyton goes to handoff, and Broussard goes the other way. They clearly weren't on the same page. Um, there wasn't – there wasn't much in that run game that you would you would like. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the yards per carry average for the team was horrible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're going to keep saying they need to be balanced and they need to start physical with the run game and all that. But, I mean, if you can't do it, I, I mean, it became a, I mean, part of it is the score of the game. You know, when you're down by 25 in the fourth quarter, you're not going to try and play a, you know, run a, 15 play drive with the, on the ground. So you're going to have to air it out, but you know, uh, on Saturday, obviously Peyton Thorne and, and, you know, with Keon Coleman, Trey Mosley and some of those guys, that was the best thing they could do offensively. The run game didn't work. Um, how quickly they they could possibly abandon that in games in the future. We'll see. But I think as long as it's a close game, they're going to continue to try and run the ball, obviously, like they're going to have to, um, to, to establish something there, but not, they've, not and they've been pretty. asked like pretty repeatedly about that, you know, since the preseason, mm -hmm. you know, pretty, pretty much all the coaches, you know, are you willing to become a pass first offense? And <laughs> the answer's pretty much been no that I've heard, Matt. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'll say, you know, Jay, we talked to Jay Johnson yesterday and he'll say, you know, it, it basically it is, we'll do what we have to do to win the game. But the, the constant comment and theme is we need to run the ball. Mel will tell you that. Jay will tell you that. Peyton will tell you that. Everybody, you know, uh, Chris Kapilovic will tell you that. Everybody will tell you that. But um, it was good. It was the run game was good through through the first two weeks. But, you know, those two Mac teams and and went out west and, and just they didn't get anything out of it other than Elijah Collins touchdown in the fourth quarter. And that was I mean, Peyton Thorne was probably the best rusher they had. Right. <laughs> that's that fourth down call that was a good play call fourth and five or whatever it was the qb draw he tried to lower his shoulder to pick up a first down on the edge which I'm sure the coaching staff uh, was not the 
thrilled to see. We, there was a couple of jokes about that yesterday, but I think he was just trying to spark something at that point. Yeah, he's trying you know, to get a first like, down. I mean, it was, yeah. and I don't blame him. It's just you know he's your guy, and you know you don't you don't usually see the quarterback lowering his shoulder on on the edge like that. Yeah, I mean Michigan State. I, maybe they have more talent on the outside, and maybe they need to open it up a little bit, but. If you've been watching Michigan State football long enough, when they have good teams, their identity is always running the ball. That's how it's always been. I mean, when they try to spread it out and pass, remember the John L. Smith years? I mean, they could throw for 600 yards and they lose games by three touchdowns. You know, it just, it doesn't seem to work. And I know that doesn't fit with the identity and the culture that Mel Tucker wants to have with Michigan State. So I wouldn't expect to see them giving up on the run game. But obviously, if you're going to fall behind like this, uh, that is going to happen. Keon Coleman breakout is something that we, you know, fans and he even said it himself. He thinks he's due for a breakout season before the year. You know, I don't know if you can say that he, it's a full, I mean, it is a breakout game. I don't know if it's sustainable with, you know, Jaden Reed presumably coming back and Michigan State not wanting to throw the ball all the time. But for, on an individual level, Keon Coleman definitely flashed in this game. No, absolutely. I mean, he's, <laughs> we, it's not a surprise to see him playing at a higher level than last year. We, you know, everybody talked about in the off season, him being an emerging player and, you know, potential breakout year, like you mentioned, but you know, he's physically got the tools. He had a year to learn how to play wide receiver, which, you know, everybody coming in from, from high school, especially came from a small high school. A lot of guys will tell you, they don't really know how to play the position. Um, Like Keanu joked, you know, he just go out there, throw the ball, catch touchdowns, you know, yada, yada. But um yeah, I mean, he, he had a really good game. Um, that first touchdown, I think it was the first touchdown when they went for a fourth down, if I remember that right. And then Peyton scrambles to his left and he throws, you know, buys time and, you know, Keon makes a great catch. And he got asked, Peyton got asked about that yesterday and say, well, actually, you know, Keon was on, that wasn't scripted. He was supposed to be on the other side of the end zone. But he saw me scramble and did what he was supposed to do is, look, find a way to get open try to give him a target and he, he did exactly that he ran right through Tyler Hunt um, who obviously didn't expect him coming that way and he made a great catch he had a great catch on the two-point conversion so yeah I mean you it's it's uh, that's a positive sign um, you know with seeing development for a young player like that um, obviously they, they'd like to get want Jaden Reed back in the lineup and, and that would be a big deal when he comes back if that's this week um but yeah, I mean, you got another young guy, another weapon, and, and Trey Mosley again. You know, I know he kind of always goes under the radar, but the catching, the touchdown catch he made was was pretty impressive. And double coverage, Peyton threw the ball in a spot where he could get it, and he just beat two guys for the ball. So, yeah, they do have talent out there, and um, I mean, right now it looks like that that is a better thing to lean on than than the run game. Even though we, like we said, they're going to continue trying to run the ball, but I thought Broussard did had a fairly disastrous game on on Saturday. Um, Burger Burger was, you know, he just didn't, you know, he didn't really produce much either. Do you, you agree that anyone criticizing Peyton Thorne is a little bit misguided? I, I thought he played pretty well in, in the face of a lot of adversity in this game. Yeah, I do too. I mean, the interception was obviously a mistake and was trying to do too much. And he had the missed throw over the middle. I don't remember if that was the second or the third quarter. I think it was um, Montori Foster was open. Yeah, it was wide open. Yeah, he just, he just missed him. And he, but, you know, he admitted as much. But other than a couple of mistakes, which you're going to see from everybody, Michael Penix missed open guys too. Um, I thought he played really well. Um, you know, I think he showed his, his competitiveness. You know, you're down 22 to nothing. Hostile place. I mean, it's easy to fold it up. And, and he was out there and he was he was battling. And I thought he again, I thought he played really well. I thought that was as good as well as he good as he played all year. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I thought he, he did a good job on, on Saturday. Kyle, are your exp- – I mean, I think me and Matt were both at 9-3 and three before the season. I think you were leaning a little bit closer to 8-4. and four. Are your expectations still around that 8-4, and four, or are you, you lowering them? I'd probably take the under on it right now. Um, not, not only – I mean, I, I'm not just overreacting to one game, but like Ohio State's Ohio State. Michigan hasn't played anybody, but um, has looked good playing nobody. We'll see next couple weeks. Uh, and Penn State looks better than expected, I think. Um, I know Auburn's not great, but you go down under the plains and you win by that much, I'm impressed. So um, I think the division looks tough. Um, and obviously Michigan State um, didn't look great in its first real challenge. So that's three games that are going to be pretty darn tough to win. And um, shoot, starting with Minnesota this weekend, there's plenty of other ones that um, that you can drop too. So um, they drop one early. Um, I If you're going to put over under on losses the rest of the way at three, I, I'm going to take the over. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think <laughs> – I don't think they're all going to be like they were on Saturday, but it's just, it's a tough division out there, man. Yeah. And you get Minnesota and Wisconsin in the crossover game. Right. I mean, you're starting to see like why Vegas had them at seven and five, you know, and I don't know that I don't think Michigan state's as bad as they performed at times on Saturday night, but this schedule is tough and you can, you can really start to see why it was at where it was. You know, Kyle, you mentioned Michigan's schedule, you know, three cupcakes, arguably three of the worst programs in the country, you know, playing them all at home. What is the what Matt, what is the motivation for scheduling like games like this if you're Michigan State? I mean, you, you've constantly gone out west to play these games and they're it's just not going well for them. You know, what what is the motivation to play these games? Just schedule cupcakes, play them at home, you know, like I give them credit, but it's like it, when you lose games like this, now all of a sudden they go straight from number 11 to unranked because they lost at Washington. You know, meanwhile, teams are being rewarded for playing no one. I mean, it. I guess I'm just wondering in this playoff era what the benefit is to play these big marquee non-con games. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of shown that it doesn't really matter what your schedule is if you're in the hunt for a playoff. If you're, you know, 12-0 or whatever, I mean, and just, nobody's going to care. You know, if you, if you go undefeated and win the Big Ten and you played, you know, crap non-conference schedule, then nobody nobody cares. I mean, I think part of the motivation is – to, to schedule cupcakes is one that, and two, you know, another, I mean, get another home game, get another big gate, that kind of thing. Um, I, I think we talked about this last time, maybe um, I've been thinking of something else, but I like the idea of playing one good non-conference game. Um, I think fans like to see it, you know, give something yeah. early in the season, you know, to kind of point to and look forward to as a, as a real test before you, you know, you get in the big 10 play, but um let me, let me lay out a scenario for you, though, real quick. Say Michigan goes undefeated until its last regular season game and loses competitively at Ohio State. They're going to be screaming to get in the playoff, right, as a non-conference champion. Um, and if you get to that point, I think you're going to be wishing you played somebody because that that would be a determining factor whether they get in. I think it's an uphill road for the Big Ten to get two teams in. They've never done it before. Um, but if Michigan played somebody in the preseason and that was their scenario, I think they'd have a case for it. Um, I have a hard time. I, I know it's a tough division. I have a hard time seeing them have a case as a non big 10 champion with the schedule that they played. And I think, and I, I think teams schedule these games thinking that, you know, most playoff contenders are playing somebody in the non-conference. Weren't they supposed to play UCLA this week, part of the home and home? Yeah, they got yeah, it out. too. I don't think it yeah. was totally. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for Michigan State, this is kind of just a funky situation too. You know, they were supposed to have Miami at home and then the road 
well, the home game obviously got canceled because of COVID. So you put, get the road, only the road aspect. And you were at, they were actually supposed to play Boise State in the series. And they, you know, got rid of that and uh, moved this one up. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they got to look at what, <laughs> what they got going into Big Ten play and, uh, you know, a little bit of an eye opener. But I, again, I'd like to see it, you know, some good non-conference games. I do too. I mean, from a fan standpoint, it is fun to have, I mean, I said it last pod, it is fun to have like these random non-con matchups to kind of be a measuring stick, but from a practical standpoint, I'm just not sure how much sense it makes. And I guess if you're Michigan state, like, can we find a non-con, you know, that's like, like next year, a couple of years of playing Boston college. All right. Same time zone. Sounds good because the track record of going out West past the Rocky mountains and these true road games. I mean, the Tigers won a world series the last time they won a game. So Miami uh, you know, worked it, out pretty well for him last year, though. I think no one's true complaining again, about that one afterward. Same time zone, though. You know, it's I'm just I guess I'm yeah. more like pushing back against going out west. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Yeah. 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 Um, the sleep banking uh, clearly did not work <laughs> there. <laughs> it didn't work for me either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, a tough loss for Michigan State. Not what you want to see. Um I think it makes this upcoming game against Minnesota at home back at Spartan stadium, uh, a pretty big game because now nationally, you know, people are already a little skeptical of Michigan state staying power coming in, you know, Washington might end up being a really good team. We don't know. Um, but, and maybe this loss looks a little, you know, not better, but you know, it doesn't look as bad down the road, but now if you're Michigan state, everyone's doubting you, you're unranked. You've got a home game against a Minnesota team that has, you know, you open as a slight favorite and Minnesota's already the favorite now. Um, it seems like everyone nationally is off the Spartans now. You know, Mel Tucker's a pretender. They're making jokes about him, you know, calling himself a horseshit coach and he's overpaid and all this stuff. So this weekend against Minnesota feels like a huge game. Uh, if you look at the series, Michigan State leads it 30 to 17. Last time they played uh, was a three point win for Michigan State in 2017. Somehow Minnesota hasn't been to East Lansing since 2013, which feels wild for a conference game, uh, uh, opponent, but. I guess since when you're on the other other side and you're only playing every three, four years and it's there here or there, I guess it makes some sense. Matt, you mentioned at the start of the pod, Minnesota is a very different team from Washington. They're going to focus on the run with Muhammad Ibrahim, who is back from injury and is looking like one of the best backs in the country. He's already got 464 yards rushing on the season with seven touchdowns. Great in uh, Minnesota. Much like Washington before that game, they haven't really played anyone. New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and most recently a 49-7 win against Colorado. That game was over by halftime. But, you know, Colorado, arguably the worst Power 5 program in the country right now uh, with the emergence of Kansas and Duke and some others that are, are looking better. Uh, Colorado's just a complete dumpster fire right now, so I don't know how much you can take away from that. But a different challenge presented to the Spartans this week. Yeah, I mean, they for Minnesota, I mean, I you know, they were, what, 9-4 and four last year? It's not like they had a terrible season. I think they had a chance to win the West until they screwed that up, but – you know, their three opponents so far in Mexico State, FCS, Western Illinois, and you mentioned Colorado are combined 0 and 10. So, and they played all three at home. So, yeah, they haven't exactly played a, a banger schedule yet, but I think it's a good football team. Um, you know, statistically, the numbers might be a little misleading because of the, the competition, but number two in total offense, number two in total defense, number two in rushing, um, scoring offense is seventh. You know, they, this, you know, it's a good team. Um, but yeah, much different challenge in Washington, which was pass heavy. Uh, Minnesota is basically the opposite. Uh, last year they had fewer pass attempts than every program in the country, other than the three service academies, uh, army, air force, and Navy. And this year, hold on, they're, they're ticking up there. I think they are like 12th U.S. or whatever, but 
Um, they have only attempted 68 passes, uh, one more than Wisconsin, four more than <laughs> Rutgers as far as Big Ten uh, components uh, pair opponents compare. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is a run first team. They got a veteran quarterback, Tanner Morgan, who, I mean, if you remember the 2019 season, he was really damn good. Problem difference is he had two NFL receivers on that team. Um, and he, he had a bad year. He's got, he just hasn't played at that level, but um, he's been efficient. Uh, he's completing more, what, more than 70% of his passes, I think. Uh, so, I mean, this is going to be a challenge, you know, kind of a different challenge for Michigan State, obviously. But, you know, if, they, if your run defense is going to, if they pride themselves, obviously, on their ability to stop the run, they've been pretty good at it. Uh, historically, especially in the last, you know, since D'Antonio took over a few bumps there. Um, but I mean, that's, that's the challenge right there is so you got to slow them down and I don't know. We'll I see actually you. think there's a lot of reasons to like Michigan state in this matchup, honestly, um, from what you said about the fact that they don't pass very much. Um, I, I frankly don't put a whole lot of stock in their, their results uh, given who they played. But my other thing is like Michigan state, he's taken some really bad losses um, under Mel Tucker and they're pretty good at getting up back up off the mat, you know, uh, last year um, get drubbed by Ohio state, come back and beat a pretty good Penn state team the next week and play pretty well. Um, they won and played well after that Purdue game, not, you know, didn't play terribly in that game, but lost to a team they probably shouldn't have. Um, so I, I think that um, I don't think there's going to be a hangover from that. Um, and I, I think that this coaching staff, I mean, we talked about their issues with the past defense, but as far as getting ready, this team ready to play, I think they'll be able to do that. And I think they're playing a relatively unproven team that um, kind of goes strength on strength. So I, um, despite how they looked last week, I actually think there's, there's reason um, to hope this week. I think Tanner Morgan played in that 2013 game uh, at Spartan <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> Minnesota was supposed to come to East Lansing in what I don't even remember. Was it the second version of the 2020 schedule? They were supposed to open at home against Minnesota in one version of that of that COVID schedule before um, what the third or I think it ended up the third version of the schedule is what they ended up playing. But um, yeah, so they were supposed to make a trip here. Um, and it's just took a little longer. And it is worth noting, you know, you mentioned strength on strength. I think if you're Michigan State, at least psychologically, it's probably good that, you know, Maryland is a week away um, and you, you get to face a team that, you know, theoretically plays into your strength on defense. But Chris Ottman bell their leading receiver, is also out for this game, um, which which is notable. I mean, we mentioned Minnesota's a largely passing team, but they – they love to, you know, pound the rock, pound the rock, pound the rock, do play action and take a shot. And Auburn Bell, you know, had 11 catches for 214 yards, so obviously explosive. They have other guys. Brevin Spanford is a solid uh, tight end. Michael Brown Stevens. And they've got all dashes. I <laughs> didn't realize they, uh, they have all of dash names. Uh, and then Dylan Wright is probably the receiver who's going to see more playing time with Auburn Bell out. So it is still a concern. And we'll see. But one thing we noticed in the Washington game, Matt, is Michigan State, like, literally did not blitz. And maybe that was because, you know, they were so concerned about their ability to contain Washington's receivers. Um, but, you know, some people are like, oh, put a little more pressure on the quarterback. Maybe you won't have as much time to throw. But, you know, that's a double-edged sword. You mentioned that you don't think that, you know, Mel thought the scheme was fine. Do you see them blitzing anymore? Maybe trying to put a little more pressure on Morgan when he maybe has to throw? I, Mel thought that there was – there were times where, where they – even if they weren't rushing for, they were expecting certain – you know, scenarios they're expecting to get like three one-on-ones and that didn't happen. So it was more, he just kept saying it was more of just, you know, what they're 
the execution, but I mean, the, the, the most pressure Penix was under was when Van Sumeren came out of blitz, got it, you know, would look like a pretty clean hit and he gets a flag for it. Um, but yeah, they just, they just did not, they did not get to him obviously. And then there were times where Mel thought that they had a good pass rush set up, but the, the coverage didn't make him hold the ball. And so he's able to get rid of it. I just, I don't know. I think, I think it's a completely different challenge with, with Minnesota than it is with Washington. Um, if you can obviously put them in third and long and make them throw the ball, and then you obviously tee up on with the pass rush. Yeah. I mean, I, I would expect to see a little bit more pressure than last week because there wasn't any, I mean, they went into the game first in the nation in sacks and they came out with zero. So. We got a couple questions here. Um, Mel Tucker mentioned personnel changes on the in the secondary. This person wants to know if maybe we might see some of the young offensive linemen get a shot. I don't think so at all. I think, you know, they know what they got in these guys. Um, we've seen a seven-player rotation up front for the most part um, with Brian Green um, being a sub at, at either guard spot and, and Brandon Baldwin at tackle with the other regular starting five. And I don't, I don't see that changing. Um, that, that's gotta know. be the hardest position for like a young guy. Yeah. To just step yeah. In, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I don't if, think if they're, did... I don't think they're playing the veteran guys while being like, well, they're older, um, <laughs> no. but the young guys are better, but these guys <laughs> no. are older. They no, it's not that kind of thing. If they, if they had the guy, if the guys behind them were better, they would be in the game. Absolutely. If they were ready, they'd be in there. I mean, Mel has shown time and time again, he's not afraid to throw freshmen in there if no, they're ready and he thinks they no. can compete. And we saw some of those guys late in the, in the Akron game. Um, we saw a new front up there. And, and so the guys did get snaps, but you're not going to see them out there starting. I can't imagine <laughs> any sort of massive changes on the offensive line right now. You can see why coach cap and Mel Tucker are so aggressive going after linemen and in, in recruiting though. Because, yeah. I mean, they do need a talent upgrade at the position. They need – and they have some guys in the pipeline, I think, that have promise and have some pedigree, you know, Gino Vandemark, others like that. But you can tell that that position group as a whole needs to be upgraded. And it, and it has needed to for a while, ever since, you know, the Conklin-Allen days, really. Um, another question here uh, regards Malik Carr. A lot of people, you know, like Keon Coleman, thought Malik Carr would have a breakout season this year. Um, this person wants to know why he's not playing as much. Is it, is it simply just blocking? I mean, I, we know they like Tyler hunt. Um, and obviously Daniel Barker had a good game against Washington and he's probably going to continue to be a weapon, but I, I too have been a little surprised. We haven't seen more of Malik Carr. Um, yeah, I mean, we saw him, I, I was, Kyle did the snap breakdown. I didn't realize he was only on the field for what, two snaps against two snaps. Washington. I mean, I didn't see much of him, but I didn't think it was only two. So I, maybe he's a little banged up. Maybe that's part of the situation. I don't know, but uh, he's, they seem to, you know, the, the word coming out of fall camp was that he was better. The blocking had improved. He'd embraced it more and, you know, it's become more of a complete tight end, but I don't think it's a surprise at all to see Daniel Barker step up and take over the featured role. I mean, this is a guy who's a, he's a grad transfer. He spent four years playing in the big 10, you know, Carr was, Last year was his first year at tight end and he missed fall camp, you know, with the, he had the foot injury or whatever it was. So, I mean, he's still a relatively young player at the position athletically. I mean, obviously he's talented he's got the, the, the skill set and the size that you, that you're looking for in the position, but you know, he's got a couple guys in the room that have just been doing it a little bit longer, especially Barker. So now I'm not shocked to see him, you know, being playing behind, um Barker um but the snap only two snaps on Saturday was a bit of a surprise 
I was surprised to see Jaden Reed not playing. I think you were too, honestly. Um, Jacob Slade was surprised out. I mean, have we, have we got any clarity on if these guys are going to be back from Minnesota? Hey, they're sore, man. They'll be ready when they're ready. <laughs> they're sore. They'll be ready when they're ready. You're going to no, give me that line. I mean, <laughs> that's all you get, got. I know. He, he didn't. Mel obviously doesn't talk about injuries. Darius Snow being out for the year is the only guy he, I can recall him like giving anything definitive on. Um, yeah, I mean, I was surprised Jaden didn't play, but um, you he know, again, said it was just a cut. I mean, yeah, and they, yeah, yeah, and they said it was stitches on Saturday, I think is what the broadcast said. So, I mean, I think if you'd have been able to go up, be out there, they would have obviously loved to have him. Mel just said he wasn't, he wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to go. So, um, I think I told, I think I mentioned this to Kyle yesterday. I, would have, I wouldn't be surprised at all if those metal benches at Spartan Stadium um, now all have padding on the edges. That's uh, just kind of a stupid way to get, I mean, make a great catch, get pushed out of bounds, and you get hurt by a a bench um so just silly stuff freak type of accident but um yeah they obviously need him back in the lineup uh so you know because he's one of their best players clearly yeah it's i don't know the injury luck has not been on michigan state side early in the season that that's for sure i mean you can make excuses excuses all you want but they have been missing some of their key players and there's no doubt about it i mean if you were going to lay out 10 key players for michigan state to start the year Darius Snow, Xavier Henderson, Jacob Slade, Jaden Reed would probably all be on that list. And they've all missed time with it. Absolutely, they would be on that list. So, uh, anything else on uh, these two games, or are we ready to get out of here? Yeah, how do we not get any PJ Fleck joke in, man? Roll the boat. Oh, we didn't even mention his name until uh-huh. just then, Kyle. I'm glad we got our, our token PJ Fleck mentioned in there. But, <laughs> hey, we like to make fun of PJ Fleck. Everyone does. But the guy's a good football coach, man. Yeah, I know. I'm joking. ready to play. He really it's does his, get his teams ready to play. It's the slogans and the micro machine speed at which he talks that kind of, you know, is, is just humorous. There was one near Big Ten Media Days, and they used to start it really early. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. He was the first coach going. <laughs> and, oh, my God, like, it was just, you know, everybody's kind of like uh, a little bit half still getting in the day. And he is 150 miles an hour. Like, he just drank a case of Red Bull, and he probably hadn't had any. You know, that's just the way he operates. But, yeah, good coach. Um, yeah, he's I, definitely I raised the baseline in Minnesota for sure. To the point where they're like a year in year out contender in the big 10 West. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, and I think him and Mel could have a competition between who can come up with, you know, the better slogans, <laughs> like who's the better football coach. Yeah. But who's the better marketer. That's what, that's what I want to know between Mel and, uh, PJ flex. So, uh, it'll be interesting. We know PJ will have the team ready to play. I think we know Mel Tucker will have the guys ready to go. They're back at home. Spartan Stadium crowd will be behind them, and it feels like a pretty big game for Michigan State. Kickoff's at 3.30. It's on the Big Ten Network. Probably a game that's going to slide under the radar nationally now that both that Michigan State is unranked, but um, obviously a big game for both these programs that are trying for Michigan State to bounce back and prove that they're still a contender, and for Minnesota to prove that they're for real and maybe the favorite in the Big Ten West after we've seen teams like uh, Purdue and Wisconsin struggle. So Matt, Kyle will be there covering. I'll be there watching, having fun. Uh, appreciate everyone for listening. Again, if you could please like, rate, and review the podcast would be appreciated. Our pregame and postgame coverage will be at MLive.com slash Spartans. And once again, thank you for listening to MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. And for Matt, Wendell, and Kyle Austin, I'm Brandon Champion. We'll talk to you next time. Go Green.